Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Starship Sofa, Tales to Terrify, Crime City Central, and Protecting Project Pulp. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, This is Far-Fetched Fables. Welcome to show number 133. I am your host, Nicola seaton Clark, and this slog of a year is finally winding down, albeit to an angst-soaked conclusion. We thought we'd try to perk things up a bit with a dose of humour, starting with Evil Is As Evil Does by Travis Burnham. Travis is a science fiction and fantasy writer and a science teacher. His work has previously appeared in Eof's Kiss, Bad Dreams Entertainment, South 85 Journal and SQ Quarterly. Originally from New England, he's lived in Japan, Colombia and the Mariana Islands and currently lives in upstate South Carolina with his wife and pup. He's a bit of a nomad, having bungee jumped in New Zealand, hiked portions of the Great Wall of China and gone scuba diving in Bali. He's got some novels looking for homes and can be found online via the links in our show notes. Our narrator for this tale is Dan Kelly, an artist allowing the universe to deliver his wildest dreams. Other than a high school diploma and a few random certificates for esoteric skills like Steadicam operation and freediving, Dan is giddily sans credentials and credibility. Born just before all those iconic Americans were rubbed out, he now thrives at the northern edge of the USA, amidst paranoid prepper enclaves and socialist sleeper cells. Dan likes movies, and with a little luck, he'll be releasing his first open-source-inspired featurette, a post-apocalyptic romantic comedy titled Daughter of God, sometime in the late summer of 2016. You can learn more at dankelly.sexy. Seriously. And now... Here's one for all the evil geniuses out there. Evil is as evil does, by Travis Burnham. Right in the middle of my nefarious plan to create an enormous ball of bubonic plague-infected fleas, the door gong set my teeth to rattling. I sent Herschel to see who it was. It's today's virgin, he rumbled from the end of the hallway. Well, don't just stand there like an idiot. Bring her in, I shouted. You know the routine. Herschel is as loyal as any evil master could hope for. But if his intellect were a knife, he'd have trouble cutting butter. 
Herschel brought her in over his shoulder and placed her on the trapdoor that dropped virgins to the room below, where they would meet their violent, bloody deaths at vile snoots, claws, and fangs. I leaned back in my easy chair, annoyed. Herschel, remind me to call green light virgins and complain. They're simply cutting too many corners. The virgins used to come with plaited hair, dressed in elaborate beaded robes. They'd worn simple, attractive jewelry, and had come tied at hand and foot with golden cord. Now this was the best we could hope for. A girl dressed in sackcloth and bound at the wrists, ankles, and mouth with duct tape. I looked at the virgin's tear-streaked face, her disheveled hair and grimy skin. Smiling, I stabbed down at the red button that would open the trapdoor. But my finger stopped. When I tried to force my shaking, quivering hand downward, it simply wouldn't budge. Suddenly, a funny, funny strange, not funny, ha-ha, tickle, diffused across the back of my throat, a bit like that odd feeling after you've just eaten a light bulb. Herschel, why don't you go walk the walls and eat any troll sentries that are shirking their duties? I'll take care of the girl. Meet me back here in a half hour. The ogre shrugged his massive green-skinned shoulders and shambled towards the stairs to the lower levels. Unaccustomed to manual labor, I struggled under the weight of the virgin as I picked her up, brought her to the back office, and then laid her on the couch. Oh, don't bother screaming for help. I put a thoughtful finger to my lips before I peeled the tape from her mouth. On second thought, scream all you want. A cry for help would probably bring someone or something who'd be far more interested in you as dinner than as a rescued maiden. Dr. Kilgore, my witch doctor, is one of the best despite his ridiculous wardrobe of feathers, shrunken skulls, and human ears and his office, cave-like and filled with jaws of preserved unnameables and unmentionables, had just the homey feeling that made me want to keep him as my personal physician. The good news is you're as healthy as an Arcarian badger. The bad news is that you've got a powerful curse on you. I've been your doctor for twenty years, and if I didn't know the nature of this curse, I wouldn't have risked telling you my diagnosis in person. Hey, I pay you by the hour, so spit it out, I growled. Goody tush ooze syndrome, stage two, progressive and incurable. I've never heard of it. If you're making this up, I'll flay, marinate, and roast you alive, and then feed you to Herschel in bite-sized pieces. Suddenly, I had that light bulb aftertaste sensation again. You'll do nothing of the sort. Your syndrome will slowly, insidiously, and irreversibly inflict you with a moral code. You've only a few days before reaching stage three. A handful of weeks at most, and the syndrome will have completely run its course. Soon you may be rubbing shoulders with the Pope. I waved his words away as if they were the disgusting smell of roses. Don't be ridiculous. That couldn't possibly happen to me. I am Nefario de Vergand, and I am unaffected by curses. I was suspicious as well, replied Kilgore. So I ran the test three times. That brought me up short. I felt like someone had cut my heart out and forced me to eat it. Normally pleasant, but under these circumstances... I had to get as much information from the doctor as I could, and then kill him to prevent anyone else from finding out about this embarrassing problem. What can you tell me about this? I almost gagged as the words felt like a mint chocolate in my mouth. Goodness. The doctor reached behind him into a crocodile head dispenser and brought forth a cream-white trifold pamphlet. This will provide you with most of the information that you need. Thank you for your wonderful years of service, doctor, but I'm afraid I won't be needing you any more. I prepared to cast one of my favorite spells, which turned a person inside out, allowing you to pluck their organs like grapes and eat them at your leisure. 
Hello, Harry, dem. <clears throat> Suddenly, it felt like I'd eaten a tray of dragon spleen and white glue surprise. Kaluari, do. Kilgore smiled a self-satisfied smile that I'm sure would have looked wonderfully wicked on my face, but I didn't like to see it on others. Read the primary symptom of stage two, he said smugly. I frowned and looked down at the pamphlet. Sufferer will be unable to directly bring harm or cause wounds that will lead to another's death. I flashed an evil grin, scaring the smile from the doctor's face. Directly, eh? I crossed the room, opened the door to the waiting room, and beckoned. Herschel ducked, and with some grunting and a shower of dust, forced his eight-foot frame through the doorway. Herschel, please eat Dr. Kilgore. The ogre promptly pinned the doctor's arms and then unhinged his lower jaw. He hesitated, belched. Well, go on. I ate a couple of friendly people in the waiting room. I'll have to save the doctor for later. Herschel said apologetically, bopping Kilgore on the head and then sliding the now unconscious medical practitioner into his ogreish leather snack satchel. With a sigh of exasperation, I turned my attention back to the curse dilemma and stroked my goatee. I never cared much for facial hair, but because of union bylaws was forced to keep it. I couldn't even depend on the wonderful sounds of Herschel's stomach digesting a victim, a sound which normally brought me untold comfort. In the library, I spent hours heaped on hours searching ancient tomes bound in human skin and encyclopedic volumes devoted to suffering and human sacrifice that yielded nothing save some savory new-sounding recipes for troll brains. My mind and eyes were tired by the strain of reading the cramped handwriting of madmen, fanatics, necromancers, and fellow evil overlords written in Arabic, Tibetan, Chinese, and other tongues, including a tome written completely in a dialect I found particularly challenging, Brooklynese. What with the poor luck finding any information and the dust getting to my allergies, I finally broke down and went to the Dirgeville Public Library to Google Gude-Tush-Us Syndrome. There were only a few websites dedicated to the curse, but all of them agreed. No cure, no treatment known, symptoms irreversible. I decided I was asking the wrong questions and needed to start asking the right ones. How did this curse fall upon me? Which then begged the question, who would want to curse me? I realized this second question, though important, might be quite difficult to answer. Who wouldn't want to curse me? I wasn't exactly in a business that forged friendships. I decided I should start at the point when I started feeling the symptoms and then I could narrow down a possible cause. Being evil through and through, I felt confident it wouldn't take too long to track down that first good thought. And then I remembered. Looking down, I saw the offender. On my left ring finger was a simple band of burnished steel with a fine flowing script engraved in glowing black letters around its rim. The supra-evil ring. Back at home, I tried to pull the ring off. It didn't even slip a millimeter. Then I tried to cut my finger off, and I couldn't force the knife down. The same was true for trying to cut off my hand or arm. I thought about calling in one of my lackeys to cut the offending finger off for me, but I didn't want to tip anyone to my predicament, as evil underlings become evil overlords by exploiting situations exactly like this one. It was a week Tuesday when Herschel brought the unmarked package from the front door. I paced the circuit of my tower office, the room of ultimate evilness, musing out loud to help myself think. Many evil overlords shared this common weakness, thinking out loud, that was often exploited by manipulative hero types. I told myself a test drive couldn't hurt, and then I put the ring on. 
I'd hit the button on the intercom and told Grunge to come up to my office for a moment. Even now, my blood boiled thinking about the miserable little troll who'd neglected to use my full title. As he opened the door, I'd said, Clango Rizingo Gar. I snapped my fingers. That's it. I remembered that, as Grudge was jettisoned from my 52nd floor tower window, I felt the back of my throat and my eyes itch ever so slightly as a minuscule feeling of regret washed over me. A shiver of disgust ran down my spine. Regret? A foreign emotion I'd never felt before this cursed ring. I almost vomited when I remembered the small passing thought that I'd had when I threw away the box the ring came in. I should start a recycling program. Back in my library, I looked down to find I was literally pacing holes in my carpet. Things were more dire than I'd first thought, and I needed this problem fixed. Now. I'd read in a few of the online sites that by the time I reached stage five, I'd be so far gone I wouldn't even want to be my evil self, the good having truly entrenched itself. I broke out in a cold sweat as a series of horrifying pictures streamed through my mind. Me, dressed in a Girl Scout uniform two sizes too small, selling cookies. Me, dressed as Santa and ringing a bell asking for donations to help the needy. Me, helping lepers with Mother Teresa by my side. I screamed in despair and swept everything from my desk. Though my normal means of stress release, killing lackeys, was not open to me, the simple destructive act of throwing the tabletop items to the floor allowed me to regain my wits. Weakness in my line of work usually signaled an end to my line of work, and I wasn't ready for the end. I needed to buy myself some time, and that included some stopgap measures. I flipped open my cell phone and selected green light virgins. Hello, I'd like to cancel my daily delivery. Yes. No. No. I know they don't have an expiration date. I just find your packaging isn't what it used to be. Thank you very much. I closed the phone while the telemarketer was still talking. I hate pushy salespeople. I momentarily mourned my old self who would have tracked him down and popped his head like a zit. Even though the immediate problem of virgin surplus was now averted, I still didn't want a hunger-crazed vile snoot destroying everything in sight. The next phone number came from a magazine advertisement that I dismissed with a derisive snort when I first seen it. High cost of virgins got you down. Monsters plumbing all tied up because of their low-fiber diet. Choose Vegan Virgin, the healthy tofu alternative, 1-800-VGY-VRGN. That's 1-800-VGY-VGRN. As I punched the digits, I found myself looking over my shoulder, as well as pondering the possibility of phone taps. I crept into my filing room and quietly closed the door, turning off the lights just as the other line picked up. Play select from the following options. For new accounts, push 1 for boop. My finger that at the word select had been hovering like a vulture over the keypad, stabbed down so quickly that it was almost dislocated. Megan Virgins, how may I help you? I want to open a new account. I hissed, self-conscious that my voice might penetrate the filing room door. Name and major credit card? I proceeded to give her all the pertinent information, whereupon she rained options upon me. Overwhelmed by different consistencies, textures, flavors, colors, and names for my virgins, I simply opted for the most expensive, top-of-the-line tofu version. Veggie Page, dressed in black norgahide, vergen trademark, flavored, and with mung bean sprout hair, would apparently make any monster happy with its dietary choice. One mustn't cut corners when it comes to outwitting the opposition. Disgusted with myself and feeling at an all-time low, I almost felt wholesome, as if my father had caught me helping a little old lady across the street. Thinking of all the virgin lives that my phone call had just saved, 
and all the sickeningly good deeds in my bleak future, I pondered suicide, but immediately realized the futility of that option, for would that not be taking a life? As I touched the doorknob to leave the filing room, a voice spoke behind me. I'd heard the rumors that described you as thoroughly evil, but I didn't believe them. Now I know they were wrong. With my blood frozen in my veins, I turned to look, and there was the virgin. Didn't I leave her tied up? I fixed her with my patented evil stare. Actually, they were quite right, and every single one of those nasty rumors is true and more. Normally, I would gleefully watch you torn to bits by Vilesnoot, but you just happened to have caught me at a bad time. Luckily for me, tying someone up and tossing them in a dark closet is still well within my bounds. Leaving my office and slamming the door behind me, I swept towards the stairs to the fortress walls, my countenance terrible to behold. I, Nefario de Vergon, would make my rounds and prove that I was bigger than any curse. Who slew the muscle-bound idiot hero of Nambala? Who seduced the golden succubus of the 67th plane and stole her soul? Who stole the necromancer king's undead pet collection from his castle on the Isle of the Damned? Me, that's who! I strutted, chin high, shoulders back. Whipping around the corner, I bumped into my vice-torturer, Kurgaman. Oh dear, terribly sorry, Kurgaman. I wasn't watching where I was going. A look of stunned amazement rolled across the goblin torturer's face. Within the span of a second, his face changed to a look of cunning, calculating the angles of this encounter. I needed to think quickly. And that's just an example. If you ever say anything nice like that to me, I will see that you're flayed alive and then fed your own skin, followed by your fingers and toes, and finally your own brain. I stood to my full six feet six inches of height, and from the netherworld conjured up the dark tentacles of Tambala. Immediately the space around me was filled with writhing dark shapes. Kurgaman, with barely anything but the white of his eyes visible in his horrified face, turned tail and fled. I had to grit my teeth to clamp down on the apology I wanted to yell after him. I skulked back to my office like a whipped dog. The door shut behind me with a barely audible click. As down as I was, I cared little that the virgin had escaped from her bonds and her closet prison. Having found the shower in my office and dressed in one of my old robes, she looked fetching despite having washed away the delightful stink of fear she'd worn earlier. Who are you, virgin? Houdini? I asked. She fixed me with a sultry gaze. I'm not unfamiliar with the bondage arts. I sighed. Was nothing as it seemed any more. The following day, I summoned a storm of gargantuan proportions. Sadly, it wasn't the kind of storm that would hurt anyone, but simply mirrored what I'd become, all flesh and no substance. But I hoped it would keep the questions at bay, as my servants would believe that I was working on an awful and terrible project. Through Herschel, I leaked a number of rumors to that effect, while I played the part of the insane obsessive cloistered away in my office's library and laboratory. Herschel was indispensable. He handled the rounds and even delivered the vegan virgins. I counted myself lucky for the ogre's stupidity, for he didn't ask any questions when I explained that the virgins, from this point on, would be unconscious, neglecting to mention that they had never had more than a soybeans awareness. And though they were 100% organic and made from non-GMO ingredients, they apparently passed the taste test, for I heard nary a gripe or grumble from Vilesnoot. As for me, I struggled to avoid despair. I made exhaustive searches through my books on how to dispel good curses, and swallowed more spider's legs, chicken entrails, live cockroaches, and poison ivy than I'd previously thought my stomach could hold. I even ingested some newt's eyes, dog's tongues, and blind worm stings, spell components I hadn't stooped to since grammar school. I studied the ring itself. I deciphered some of its inner workings, 
but the thing still withheld its most important secret, how to dispel the curse. Through it all the virgin, who after the third day requested that I stop referring to her as the virgin and call her by her given name, Brittany, was an angel. She'd taken the showering daily, and with her strawberry blonde hair coiled in soft curls, would be considered attractive to many. Not to me, but to many. Within a few days she had cleaned my offices and balanced my accounts. In short, she made me want to vomit. She even took my scathing vile comments as sarcastic humor. Have you considered just giving in to the curse? asked the virgin, Brittany. Is being good so bad? Have you ever considered leaping to your death from one of my upper floor wind? Suddenly, a flash of inspiration almost blinded me. I ran for my notepad. Herschel, Herschel! I yelled at the top of my lungs. I was overjoyed to hear his heavy footsteps and finally his gravelly baritone beyond my door. Master! Take this list. I slid an extensive shopping detail beneath the door. I'll need them all by this afternoon. It took all my strength to turn my thank you into a whisper. Thank you. What did you say, master? Nothing, I said. Go! My idea was genius, in that its fiber was evil, but it didn't even remotely bother my newborn consciousness. Even after I received the items on my shopping list, I would still have many days and nights of labor ahead of me. Never good at waiting, I went to the back room to separate my papers, plastics, and medals. First, you're lucky that you've come to this gathering of lackeys, slaves, and servants, as the alternative was torture, then death. I waited for the applause to die down. Brittany was at my side, looking beautiful in skin-tight black leather. She looked apart and was under strict orders not to disturb the illusion of evil by speaking. Scanning the audience, I swelled with pride at the assembled evil might before me. For a second, I thought I saw Dr. Kilgore, but that was impossible because by now he was long composted ogre dung. These gifts, which reflect my gratitude... Grimaces of disgust swept through the audience, accompanied by whispering and chatter. I held my hands up for silence. We'll only serve my needs better! The grimaces and chatter turned to nods and murmurs of understanding. Herschel! The ogre, at the wings of the stage, hauled downwards on a cord and the blood-red curtains behind me parted, revealing hundreds of black boxes wrapped in gold ribbon. I looked at the audience and swept my arms wide. Take them! Pandemonium erupted as the crowd charged the stage. There were three gifts for every minion, ensuring that each would get at least one. Zembo the Minotaur snorted as he tore one of the black boxes open. Three goblin brothers, Jerb, Garg, and Blarp, dove into the pile. Argo the Amorphous lashed a pseudopod around the box, tearing it open with sucking sounds. One by one, all of my servants opened a package and put on their very own supra-evil rings, which magically changed size to fit a multitude of fingers, toes, and tentacles. I turned to face my most faithful servant. Herschel, I say this last one especially for you. I held out one of the boxes to him. Yoga's face broke into a wide, toothy grin. He held up his hand to show a glint of burnished steel glimmering on his ring finger. Thanks anyway, boss. Had mine for a couple of weeks now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Our second story today is Picture Perfect by Matt Michelatos. Matt is the author of eight books, the most recent of which is the young adult superhero novel Capeville, Death of the Black Vulture. You can find out more at his blog or on Twitter and Facebook. Links, of course, in our show notes. The story is read by Seth Williams, the avatar for a three-kilometre sentient starship that is parked probably uncomfortably close to the third planet. Surprisingly, he has not yet been discovered – He's very happy that the inhabitants have discovered enough technology so that he can communicate in this limited fashion. Any communications can be directed to theboojum.org. And now, Picture Perfect by Matt Michelatos. Richard, the unfriendly ghost, woke me. I blinked twice. The sun was still up. I could sense it on the other side of the drapes. Are you trying to murder me again? I asked. Richard cackled. Worse. Much worse, Isaac. I frowned. I didn't bother to ask what was worse than murder. As a vampire, I had doled out plenty of worse than murder moments, not the least of which was feeding Richard to one of the elder gods of terror. That had bought me almost two months of Richard Free Bliss. But ghosts are surprisingly resilient. A steady, insistent knocking came from the front room. I threw off my comforter and padded to the door. I leaned against it. Who's there? Sam. Sam who? Sam one. Open the door. It's freezing out here. I muttered a series of imprecations. I won't open this door unless you tell me who you are. A light-hearted chuckle came through the door. Come now, it won't be so bad. Your father already called and explained the situation. Are you dressed? My father had died over a hundred years ago. He had been the famous vampire hunter, Abraham Van Helsing. I had been turned into a vampire during a botched father-son hunting trip. I glanced at the clock on Mrs. Holmes' mantel. It's eight in the morning. Richard floated past me and undid the locks. Beware the sunlight, he said, and the stranger outside pushed open the door. Even indirect sunlight burned. 
I quickly stepped back into the shadowed living room behind me. Standing on the boarding room porch was a painfully thin man with silver spectacles and a spectacular comb-over. Hey there, sunshine, he said, grinning. I hated him immediately. I take it you're Sam, I said. That was just for the knock-knock joke. It isn't freezing out either. It's a perfectly lovely day. Richard was floating on the far side of the door laughing uproariously. The stranger couldn't see him and appeared not to notice the laughter. Perhaps he thought it was in response to his horrible joke. State your name and business, I said. He laughed. Why, the state is my business. I got a call from your father. I doubt it. My father passed away years ago. The man snapped his fingers. Come to think of it, the line did go dead at the end of the call. He looked at me for a moment. Get it? The line was dead? I rubbed my face and hoped that Richard had not somehow found a minor pun demon to torment me. Please, in the name of all that is holy, tell me why you are here or be gone. I'm here because you've got no class. I sighed and stared at Richard before swinging the door shut. Is this the best you can do? Trust me. Richard said. It gets much better. He opened the door again. The man pulled out a badge. My name is Philip Voss. I'm a truant officer. Oh, no. Oh, yes, Isaac Van Helsing, he said, pulling a small clipboard out of thin air. You've been cutting, and if you miss school again, you're headed to jail. But I'm a vampire. Well, that sucks, I grunted like I haven't heard that a million times. Officer Voss wrote a note on his clipboard. I'll tell the teachers to cover their windows. High school is a dark time for many. I am 139 years old. You must be a senior, then. He looked at me with a practiced eye. Besides, I'd guess you're 18. Yes, I was eighteen when I turned into a vampire, but that was one hundred and twenty years ago. Richard said, A hundred and twenty-one years ago. A basic math course could only help him, officer. Nevertheless, I am well past the age of conscripted schooling. No problem, Officer Voss said, writing furiously. Just give me a peek at your birth certificate, and I'll be on my way. My jaw fell open. What? You have to prove your age. I don't have a birth certificate, he shrugged. So you go to school. But I died when I became a vampire. Do you have a death certificate? No. Voss clucked his tongue. Probably just as well. Having a dead body in the home is a biohazard. You'd get fined. You're saying I have to go to school? Voss laughed. You might not be educated, but you're smart enough. I'll write that down. Smart. Enough. Surely there's another way. You've got your GED? He saw the look on my face and shook his head, writing, See you tomorrow at 8.30. I tried one last-ditch effort. What if I bite the other students? He waved without turning back. The principal will deal with you. 
Mother Holmes, the old woman who ran my boarding house, was thrilled at the prospect of sending me to school. She got me new schooling clothes, as she called them, shiny black shoes, gray shorts, and a white-collared shirt and a red bow tie. I tried to refuse, but once Mother Holmes decided something, one had best go along. Which is why I also carried the lunch she had packed for me in a Scooby-Doo lunchbox. Despite my inability to eat food and my antipathy towards mystery-solving cartoon dogs, of course, I had to carry a large umbrella to keep the sun off. But the indirect light still hurt my skin, and I was glad it was a rainy day. In the dim light, Richard's ghostly shape was more visible, and as we moved through the puddled parking lot, he mocked me for going to school. Determined not to let him think he had found yet another way to harass and annoy me, I told him I was looking forward to the day. To the end of the day, you mean? he asked. No, to making new friends, learning new things. It's a wonderful institution, school, to be surrounded by these teens full of life and the light of learning. Richard rolled his eyes. It's been a long time since you were with high schoolers. A red sports car came screeching through the parking lot, a wave of water rising up above my head and dousing me completely. A young woman leapt out of the car. Her hair was bleach blonde with light blue streaks, and she wore tight-fitting jeans and a tank top with a strange diaphanous shirt over the top. Her shoes were transparent and bright orange socks shone through them. She looked like a shopping mall had exploded onto her. She snatched some books from the front of the car and came over to me. She looked me up and down and then took hold of my umbrella, lifting it over her head. Hey, sorry about the tidal wave, she said. Mind if I take this umbrella? You won't need it now that you're soaked. I bared my fangs at her. As it so happens, I need it to keep the sun off. She smacked some gum in her mouth and looked me over again. Geez, pal, could you get any whiter? I looked at my pale skin. I doubt it. Maybe if you were a mime, Richard suggested. Hey, a ghost, she said. You can see me? Richard asked. Shh, she said. Ghosts are supposed to say ooh and that's it, so don't talk. Creeps me out. I smiled. What's your name, young lady? She slapped me on the shoulder. You're a weird guy. Looks like your grandma addressed you, but I like you. I'm Alice. Isaac, I said, and held out my hand. She laughed and slapped my palm. Seriously, you look like a yodeling vampire from Sound of Music. I took the umbrella back from her, though I was careful to leave room for her to stay out of the rain. I have not seen the film. She laughed so hard she snorted. I have not seen the film. Richard cackled and said, All of the children are going to mock you. Alice abruptly stopped laughing and poked a finger at the transparent thorn in my side. Shut up, ghost. That sounds suspiciously like bullying, and there's a zero tolerance here, you transparent excuse for a half-human. To my considerable surprise, Richard looked chastened. I studied the girl more closely, making sure she wasn't some sort of violent anti-supernatural activist. Honestly, I said, how can you see Richard? I've always envied those who can't. 
She shrugged. I'm aware, Dolphin. I have never heard of such a thing. That's because I made it up, silly. I don't know why, but I see dead people. No biggie. A clanging bell rang just as we stepped out of the parking lot and onto the school grounds. Alice gathered her books to her chest. Come on, Isaac. We're going to be late. A milling crowd of students drifted towards their classrooms. A voice echoed to us across the small square between classrooms. I turned to see truant officer Voss headed towards us, wearing a yellow slicker. Alice made a sound of disgust. Not that guy. I gotta bounce, Isaac. And then she bounced, hopping with both feet towards her classroom. I watched her in perplexed wonder. See you at lunch, she called back. Meet me at the library. Not the library, I said. I had a bad experience with a British librarian in the late 90s. He had manipulated a clique of children into risking their lives by trying to kill me. I left town and decided never to live somewhere with the word Sonny in the name. What sort of stupid vampire lives in a town with a name like that? Voss glanced at my umbrella and said, I see you're a bit under the weather. It's one thing to make puns constantly. It's quite another to emphasize them when speaking. Voss's eyes widened. I'm sorry. Do you feel that I'm punishing you? Good Lord, I said. Getting the class seemed like a good idea now. I realized I didn't know where to go and said as much. Come with me, Voss said, and you'll get the picture. So, of course, he took me to a small room with a camera set up in it. For my student ID, he said. The camera was ancient. I thought I had seen such things before, and I couldn't imagine why Voss would have one. It had an accordion-like protrusion at the front, and he raised a hand flash in one hand, his head under the drape directly behind the camera. He depressed the shutter button, and a horrific flash burned my retinas, accompanied by a slight burning smell and a whiff of sulfur. I had tried to explain that I couldn't be seen in mirrors or photographs, but he insisted on trying. He pulled a photograph out of the camera, glanced at it, and said, I guess school isn't the only place you don't show up. The small room was lined with framed photographs of students. I was surprised by their vibrant perfection. Each photo captured the essence of a young life. I ran my finger over one of them, startled by the lifelike quality. It was strange to me that the ancient camera took such excellent photos, and also that they seemed to come from the box immediately developed. Voss seemed pleased that I appreciated his work. Much of the morning was filled with paperwork and a short tour. I sat through the interminable math class and then a history class, which I found illuminating. I had not paid particular attention to history as I had lived through it, being a rather poor vampire, I had spent a lot more time and attention on surviving than on news. The students seemed dull and listless. They drifted from class to class like ghosts. In fact, they were considerably less animated than Richard, who eventually got bored and left me in my high school purgatory. Alice met me at lunch. She straddled the bench, immediately snatched my lunchbox, and began digging through it. 
An apple appeared, and she munched on it with a look of pure rapture on her face. So, you're a vampire, she said. Yes. Cool, she squinted at me. Are you going to suck my blood? I shook my head and picked through the lunchbox. I couldn't eat any of it, of course. For some unknown reason, Mrs. Holmes also packed a head of garlic. She never remembered that I couldn't eat regular food, and the garlic burned my skin. I've never been good at eating prey once I've met them. So, how do you choose your prey? You find homeless people or something? I cocked my head and looked at her. Just because they're down on their luck doesn't mean they're better for snacking. Picky eater, she said. She threw the apple core over her shoulder and wiped the juice from her face. Are you going to fall in love with me then? I frowned at her. You're sixteen years old. I might have fallen in love with your grandmother, but what could you and I possibly have in common? I shivered. It's a disgusting thought. I suppose you don't even like barbershop quartets. You'd probably enjoy that infernal rock and roll music. Geez, just say no next time. She wrinkled her nose and threw the garlic away. Do you sparkle in the sunlight? I considered this. In the sense that I catch on fire and burn to ash... I suppose that I do, yes. The bell rang, and Alice shoved all her garbage onto the floor. I gotta go get my student ID pick, she said. I hate that Foss guy. He's always using bad puns. Really bad puns. It's terrible, I agreed. She shrugged. Oh well, call me Alice in Punderland. She slapped my Scooby-Doo lunchbox against my chest. See you in civics. It was in civics that I realized that something was wrong. The students remained sedate. The teacher didn't call roll call or teach. She just sat at her desk. A spider the size of a car crawled out of a hole in the wall and carried off a football player from the front row. I leapt to my feet and shouted. The spider turned its great red-eyed head at me and then scuttled down a bolt hole as large as the teacher's desk. Richard floated in through the wall, a smile on his face. When he saw me standing at the center of the room, the smile faded. Oh, I hope someone had put a stake in your heart. A giant spider, I said. Like a spider could even hurt you. Whack it with a newspaper. Giant spider. I heard you the first time. The spider reappeared, gathered another student, lifted her up and walked into its bolt hole. The door to the room opened and Alice walked in. Her face was calm and she took the empty seat in the front row. Alice, I whispered, and when she didn't turn, I repeated again louder. Richard floated in front of her. She's tranced out like the rest of these poor saps. I walked to her side and snapped my fingers in front of her face. Nothing. The spider emerged again, took hold of the teacher, and retreated down the narrow opening of its hole. I took Alice by the hand and walked her outside the classroom. I shut the door, leaving her standing in the hall. I looked around for a weapon, but there was nothing obvious. I bent a metal leg on my desk and worked it back and forth until it snapped off in my hand. I glared at Richard. Was this your plan for me, you disembodied fiend? The ghost threw up its hands. Not at all. I thought you might have to spend four years in high school, that's all. 
Well, I can't have my classmates eaten by spiders, I said, and started down the boat hole. My eyes adjusted immediately, one of the advantages of being a creature of the night. The passageway opened into a vast underground warren of tunnels. This cavern must be Grand Central Station. Richard floated nearby. The students and teachers had been trussed up and hung upside down next to the photos from their own student IDs. A series of torches lit the side walls. I didn't see the spider. The teacher was breathing softly. I pulled her picture off the sticky wall. She looked vibrant and alive in the picture, her skin practically glowing. I tapped my finger to my lips. Help me, the photo said. I was so startled I dropped her. The frame broke when it hit the ground and a thin cirrus of air came from the photo. The teacher opened her eyes and raised a blood-curdling scream. Miss, I said, Miss, if you could stop with the screaming, I believe you might be drawing attention to us. Spider, she gasped. Yes, I said, just as a giant mouth-pincher yanked me backwards. I spun and jabbed the desk leg into one of its eyes, and it hissed and pulled away. It had torn my shirt and bloodied my chest. I hadn't fed in some time, so there wasn't much blood. It was unlikely that a spider could pound a stake into my heart, so there wasn't much to lose. I jumped on it and began to methodically stab it with a desk leg. Finally, I jabbed through the back of the spider's head, and it fell into a heap near the teacher. I tried to yank the leg free but it was stuck. An eight-legged freight train struck me from behind, and I fell beneath it. Thick, viscous webbing poured over me. I couldn't move my arms. Truant Officer Voss leaned over, smiling. He held a portrait of Alice tucked under his arm. I watched as he inspected the corpse of the first spider. Looks like you got a leg up on that one, he said, wiggling his eyebrows. You're in league with the spiders? Voss clucked his tongue. More like I'm working together with him. That's what in league with means. Oh, well, in that case, yes. He showed me Alice's picture. I capture the souls of the students with my camera, making them easy prey. Then the fearsome spiders of Apo bring their bodies down here. The spiders of Apo keep ten percent and I sell the rest to eager creatures hungry for bodies or souls, as the case may be. But why bring me to the school? Voss pulled out his clipboard and flipped through a few pages. There's some crazed human cult after you. Claims you killed all their parents back in 74. Oh, I said, them. I tried to explain. That was a bit of a binge period for me. Voss nodded sympathetically. It really is difficult when you feast on humans. Precisely what my services are designed to counterbalance. I suspect you could be a customer if I hadn't already promised you to the cult. They're paying me a hundred grand to deliver you. The spider had wrapped me quite snugly and was moving towards my waist. Richard, I said, I might need you to go for help. Richard floated over. Sorry. I was distracted by the aura of pure pleasure I get at the thought that you might be about to die. Caught in my web, Voss said. Really? You really think that's good enough? Voss chuckled. I'm not going for originality, you know. 
I thought about saying something like, stuck on you, but it had more of a romantic feeling than I wanted. I looked at the picture in his arms. Alice, I said, hoping she could hear me. Go find help. It doesn't work like that, Voss said. The souls won't talk unless they're close to their bodies. I don't know why. Only exception is if you happen to catch a picture of a ghost. They get trapped in the photo and start talking a blue streak. I had hoped it would work on you, but I guess I caught you easily enough. If you've harmed Alice, don't worry. She's a perfect picture of health. He held the framed photo closer to me. I couldn't move my arms, but my legs were still free. I kicked him hard, undulating my body, and my head connected with the picture. It spun out of his hands and smashed against the wall. Richard, I said, tell Alice to run. I can do that, Richard said reluctantly. I don't like to see high schoolers eaten, after all. He floated up towards the classroom. Voss laughed maniacally. He ordered the apo spiders to hold me tighter. You think you're some sort of knight in shining armor, he said. He pulled a crucifix and placed it over the tunnel that led back to the classroom. This should keep you from crossing me. He was about to run up the tunnel when Alice came barreling down, brandishing a fire extinguisher from the classroom. Not one for confrontations, Vaz stumbled away from her. Are you the creep who stole my soul and tried to feed me to spiders? Voss rearranged his spectacles. Technically, there was only a ten percent chance that would have been the spiders. She whacked him in the head with the extinguisher, and he crumpled to the ground. The spider on top of me tensed its legs, ready to pounce on her, but she grabbed a torch from the tunnel wall and stabbed it in the face. It fell down, on fire, crushing me. I caught fire, too. Alice sprayed me with a fire-extinguishing foam. It was surprisingly cold. I couldn't move to get out from under the spider. It had crushed multiple bones and left me shuddering in an enormous pain. Richard was laughing. Alice told him to shut up. Voss struggled to his feet. He looked down on me in the burnt arachnid and said, It's hard to resist hot apple spider on a cold night. Alice said, That's it. I'm going to extinguish your head until puns stop coming out of it. When Alice moved towards him, Voss snatched the framed picture of the football player from the wall. I'll burn it, he said, holding it near a torch. I never liked him, Alice said. Aha, Voss said, tossing the torch aside. I'll break the frame and return him to normal. Alice froze. You wouldn't. I will. He held the picture over his head. No one follows me, he said. I'm going to get into my car and drive away, and anyone who tries to follow me will get exhausted. You really are the worst, Richard said. Voss backed out of the chamber and ran back up towards the school. Follow him, I told Richard. But I don't want to get exhausted. I glared at him. It's better than getting exercised. Fine, he floated off pouting. Alice set about releasing all the teachers and students. Once they stopped their hysterical screaming, they helped her move the giant spider carcass off of me.
We all managed to get to the surface just as the final bell rang, releasing everyone from school. I heal completely when I sleep during the day. It's not a pleasant experience, but far more pleasant than it is for humans. My broken bones snapped back into place. Mrs. Holmes had been less than pleased about the state of my schooling clothes, but had set off to clean and repair them. When I awoke, it was night. I had several texts from Alice telling me that Voss had not appeared at school the next day, nor had I expected him to. He had escaped with his camera and several student photographs. I texted her back, and I told her I was headed to Voss's hideout even now. Richard had tracked Voss to a small hotel three towns over. I knocked on the wooden door and waited patiently. Voss opened the door, dressed in an ill-fitting hotel robe. Hello, I said. He immediately slammed the door, but not before I got my fingers between the door and the frame. The door swung open again, and I looked down in displeasure at my throbbing fingers. You don't have permission to cross the threshold, Voss said. I know how this works. Ah, I said, putting my throbbing hand under my arm. Yes, precisely. I cannot enter your home without permission. Then I will wait for sunrise and be on my way. I could see a box of photos on the floor beside the bed. Give me your camera and the remaining photos. I may let you go on your way without harm. The photos? Maybe. But not the camera. Never. I stepped across the threshold. Voss stumbled backwards. But I didn't give you permission. This is not your home, Voss. It's a hotel. I spoke to the manager before coming up. I smiled, showing my pointed teeth. He was eager to give me permission to enter. You can have the camera, he said, and the pictures. You can have it all, my list of clients, everything. Yes, I said, closing the door behind me. I believe I am going to take all of those things. You're going to let him go? Richard asked. Of course not, Richard. Silence. I think you should listen to Richard, Voss said. Richard snorted. I think you should eat him. Never mind, Voss said. Don't listen to him. This, I said gently, locking the door, is going to hurt. In fact, I think you'll find that I'm going to be quite a pain in the neck. That's cliched, but still funny, Voss said as I stepped towards him. I get the feeling, he said as I took hold of him, that this is going to be a scream. When the shouting and the feeding had ended, I broke all the photos in the box. I found the client list at the bottom and scanned the names. A few vampires, a cult or two, demons, even a cannibal. I suppose I would need to contact them, let them know that my high school was off limits. I picked up the camera and weighed it in my hand. I turned towards Richard. I feel that you can't be trusted to wander free anymore, Richard. This little prank of yours got out of hand. Richard began to float away from me. I've been framed, he shouted. Precisely, I said, and touched the shutter button. I tucked the new photo under my arm and stepped over Voss. I debated cleaning up, but it seemed unlikely that any of this would be tracked back to me. I could hear Richard's muffled complaints from the picture. 
I promised him I'd hang him somewhere with dignity. Perhaps the dining room. Mrs. Holmes might like that. Richard, I said, high school wasn't so bad, but the puns were unforgivable. Richard apologized from within the portrait. I didn't know about the puns and the spiders, he said. Even I am not so cruel. Well, let's just focus on getting beyond this, I said. No, Richard said, groaning. I'm trapped in this frame. Please don't torture me with puns. You're right, of course. It's just that photography lends itself to puns. Richard began to cry. I'm going to expose you to a new pun every day. Make it stop. There's not much you'll be able to do about it once I hang you in the dining room. Why not? Because you'll have your back against the wall. You're going to run out of puns eventually, Richard said hopefully. Maybe so, I said. Maybe so. I put his frame into the passenger seat of my van and climbed behind the wheel. I sent Alice a text, telling her to start brainstorming. With her help, coming up with several months' worth of puns should be a snap. I smiled at Richard. We'll just have to wait and see how it develops. Dear listener, that's all for this week. My thanks, as always, go to Gary Dowell, my editor, and Mark Zanfardino, our audio engineer extraordinaire. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this or any of our stories, you can leave your comments on the Triple F website, our Facebook page, or on Twitter. We love hearing from you, listeners, and we want to know your thoughts on our content. As always, please leave us a review on iTunes or other podcatchers so that we can build our listenership and keep the stories flowing. Please also remember that Farfetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License, which means you can download the content and share it all you like, but you can't change it and you can't sell it. And please be sure to give credit where that credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the authors. Violators will be thrown to giant spiders. I'm off to go and try and wash that last particular image out of my brain. I'll see you all next week. Bye now. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.